You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the British Ice Hockey Podcast. Last week you may have heard the interview with English Ice Hockey Community founders Paul Reagan and Clifton Rottersley, who expressed their concerns over the vote for unification between Ice Hockey UK, including Scottish Ice Hockey, and the EIHA. To be clear, not so much about unification itself, but the timing of it. In this edition, we get the view from the other side of things as EIHA director Andrew Miller joined me to explain why the vote taking place on the 12th of December is the way forward for the sport and its various facets. In what you're about to hear, Andrew addresses some of the claims made by EIHC, how they've reached the stage they're at and the possible future of the sport. Before we begin, I want to apologise in advance for the sound quality for parts of the recording. This was due to technical issues, but I hope it doesn't affect your understanding of what Andrew had to say. Hi Andrew, let's get started. Now, as we approach the end of 2020, you know, taking everything into account, are you able to sum up just how difficult a year it's been for the EIHA in general terms? Yeah, so obviously uh, it's been a challenge for everybody, not not just obviously ice hockey as a whole. Um, it's been challenging for everybody to be able to respond to a lot of the changes that have happened, particularly over the last nine months, and, and obviously... The IHA as a body is no different. We've really focused on trying to get people back on the ice and, and playing where we can. Um, and, and now really uh, the focus is how do we restart everything, hopefully subject to the government restrictions uh, being lifted in, in the next couple of weeks. Now the 12th of December is coming up and the AGM of course is looming large. The main thing on the agenda I think everybody's looking out for quite closely is the vote on the unification of the governing bodies between yourselves, Scottish Ice Hockey are in there, Ice Hockey UK as well. Just for anybody who's not really au fait with the whole thing, can you try and outline just how big this would be for Ice Hockey as a whole? Okay, so yeah, it, it's absolutely massive really. I mean, the the sport has been in, in kind of a, a holding pattern for, for several years now. This whole process actually started uh, back in 2012 where Scottish Ice Hockey actually joined with Ice Hockey UK um, and the IHA has been dabbling around the edges for, for obviously 
a, a number of years since. Um, when I joined the board three years ago, uh, the membership gave a view that from an English perspective, we wanted to see what the opinion actually was across the sport. So we started consultation with the members uh, back in kind of 2017, 2018, to, to look at everything from what a merger with Ice Hockey UK might look like, what a reformed EIHA might look like. Um, and the feedback from the members was really clear that actually they didn't want either of those things. They felt that actually we needed a new governing body for the sport. Um, and I suppose that's probably one of the main misnomers in what's been proposed is that actually this is about setting up a completely new governing body in line with the good governance principles that are given by Sport England um, because that's, that's in essence the go-to model for all governing bodies because if you ever want funding in the future from, from organisations like Sport England you need to conform to that, that good governance guidance. Um, so that's kind of where we've come from. I, I suppose some would say that it feels rushed and, and I suppose my view would be quite contrary to that. My view would be that actually this process has taken far too long and actually some of the, some of the challenges that are rightly being highlighted in our sport is, is because this issue fundamentally hasn't been dealt with and, and that's why this is such an important turning point because it's not a decision that can continue to be delayed it's a decision that needs to be taken so that our sport can move forward and irrespective of the challenges that we've got um, based on COVID and, and obviously the general challenges that we've got around managing the whole situation we're going through right now, the best way we can emerge from this whole position stronger is actually to have a strong governing body moving behind us and supporting us uh, at a club level, at a regional level and at a national level and, and that's very much the offer of what's on the table. Um, to the IHA members to hopefully support in December. Now, we're talking, obviously, you would have heard it and saw um, the stuff we did with the EIHC last week. They voiced an objection about unification. Not unification itself, but as you touched upon there, the timing of it. Um, they claim it's going to set the sport back as governance um, you know, takes its time to, to settle in and, and get everything together. So what do you say to those claims, that those guys that made the last week? So I, I suppose my, my view's pretty clear, and, and I'm, I sincerely hope that the membership would agree with me, that actually one of the things that is damaging our sport is the fact that we're not dealing with this issue. And, and fundamentally, for us to be strong as an organisation, we need good governance. That, that's what's on the table right now. And actually, just by supporting uh, these proposals, it doesn't break anything. The fact is, I mean, if you look at the, some of the areas of the sport that, that I work in and, and are responsible for. I work really closely with the National League. I, I've got a group of volunteers that support me in that as part of the National League Management Group. And I'd like to think that the clubs in that, uh, in that league uh, have seen the work that's gone on over kind of the last nine to 12 months in working with them to try and put things in place to support them. That's not going to change as a consequence of voting for a, a new unified body for the sport in the same way that um, another area that probably most people are familiar with um, with regards to me is the operation of the university section the fact is the university section is still going to operate again there's a group of volunteers that give up their time willingly 
to support those university clubs in the delivery of their league, in the delivery of their tournaments, and, and to make sure that they've got the support that they need to be successful. None of that changes. The fact is, all of those great volunteers that are already in our sport are still going to be there. Tony Boynton, Tony Wood, in terms of recreational ice hockey, will still be there. The Junior League Management Committee will still be there. Colleagues like Val Wilkinson and Liz Morley, who have been steadfast in their roles for longer than I can possibly remember, are still going to be there supporting our members, making sure that they get access to the services that they need at a club level to continue to be successful. And I don't shy away from the fact that we do have a number of roles to fill as, as an organisation. Um, so we don't currently have a head of a coaching programme. We, we've done that intentionally because we want to make sure that when a head is appointed, they know what they're going to be appointed into. I mean, ultimately, if you were going for a job, you wouldn't apply for a job not knowing whether or not you were going to be a head of coaching programme for one organisation or a head of coaching programme for another organisation. You want to operate on the certainty. So actually, immediately after the vote has taken place, we will look to appoint to some of these really critical positions that are vacant in our sport because they need filling and because that's what our sport will need to succeed but it's unfair to ask somebody to apply for a role that may be just supporting our English members or may be supporting a new unified body for the sport and I think it's only fair to those individuals that would choose to apply for those types of roles that they know where the sport is at. I'm curious about the, the timing of this, I mean, if you'll indulge me, if you take Covid out of the equation we would be in the middle of a season right now, you know, as, as we head into December. Um, you know, would the vote have taken place regardless at this time of year, or would it have waited to maybe the summer months when there is no action at all? Uh, quite, quite the contrary, actually. It would have taken place far before now. Um, so in reality, everything that's on the table right now has been done since basically March. I think the whilst we've ha obviously had a number of discussions over any tweaks or any additional information that we can include to support members in their decision has taken place uh, over the last few months. In reality, the majority of what is there was completed, I'm, I'm going to say in April, because predominantly that was when the last main meetings took place between the board and the, the leadership team that consists of all the different section heads from the different areas of the IHA and, and in reality that has been ready to go since that point so again it's not that we haven't been focused on trying to support our members and our clubs um, to, to get back on the ice and play because this has been a distraction the fact is all of this work pretty much was done six months ago because the intention and the timeline outlined at the EIHA AGM last year was that the vote would have been in June 2020. Obviously, it's been cited the fact that we had said that we didn't want to hold this vote um, online. We, we wanted to do it in person. But I think it's also fair to say that when we said that in May, nobody anticipated that come November, December time, we'd still be in a position uh, where we couldn't hold a meeting. So again it's not a decision that we can just sit back and 
ignore for another 12 months because that's equally going to do damage for our sport. The, the decision needs to be taken, in my view, quickly because that is the best way to ensure a successful future for all of our young people, for all, all of our recreational players, all of our officials, our coaches, our senior league players, all of our volunteers that work in our clubs. The best way for us to do that is to decide once and for all, do we wish to move to a, a single new governing body for the sport? And I sincerely hope that they will support that because my, my belief is that that is the best way for us to be successful moving forward. Now, I'm going to hit you with a hypothetical one and you might or might not be able to answer, but given how coronavirus has affected the sport this year, can you outline what the benefit would have been if, hypothetically, a merged governing body was already in place? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think most people either know or, or have realised the amount of work that both myself and, uh, and others on the board have put in over the, over the past few months in terms of bringing the sport back and probably one of the biggest challenges in that has been having a joined up strategy on how we pull all of this together so it's everything from how do we bring the elite game back and and actually doing that in a joined way between the Scottish National League the National Ice Hockey League the elite league under a single governing body would have been much more straightforward because actually it's then only one set of conversations for one organisation to have with DCMS, with Sport Scotland, with Sport Wales and so on, it, it makes it much more straightforward. In, in the same way that actually returning our juniors to the ice, it, it's no different. We, we set up a single set of protocols for everybody to follow based on the tiered structures that exist in each of the home nations, overseen by people that are fundamentally experts in that, rather than having to rely on three or four different people in the fragmented organisations as it is today. Obviously everybody has worked as best they can to work together, but intrinsically we are not one organisation, we don't sit round the same board table, and therefore there is a certain amount of goodwill in terms of that joint working. I'd like to think that despite not being a unified body, probably the last nine months has been the closest the sport has ever worked together um, and actually to see certain elements of success in our work together probably shows some of the the wins that we have had despite the fact that we're not unified and a really good example of that is the £343,000 that the IHA managed to secure from Sport England uh, of which I'm going to estimate probably 90% went back into the members' clubs. I know people have asked questions about the money and the grant that was received, and, and I want to be really clear. Apart from meeting some very minor bills that the IHA had as a consequence of cancelling events, putting on different systems to support us, so we made investments in things like Office 365 to both increase our compliance but also to react uh, as an association to the, some of the technology that I'm sure businesses up and down the country have invested in uh, in the current circumstances. The fact is the majority of that money, the overwhelming majority, went back to our clubs. So in essence 
that is where all of that money went. We've now had the most recent success where we've got an initial allocation uh, from government for £4 million for the Elite League and actually discussions even just today around how other support can be given to our National Ice Hockey League in England because we've built these relationships in really difficult circumstances to try and support our sport. Um, now the flip side to that is had we have been unified 12-18 months ago when the original vote had happened, I, I do truly believe that actually we would still be in an even stronger position because not only we would, would we have had 100% joint working across the board because we would have been one organisation, but one, one of the positions that is clearly articulated in uh, in the documents that's with the EIMA, EIHA membership for consideration is the role of a chief operating officer and in reality all of the communications that we've had with organisations like Sport England, DCMS, Sport Scotland and so on have ultimately been done by volunteers so we're reliant on generally the flexibility of an employer to give a, one of our volunteers the opportunity to have these discussions Again, if hypothetically we were already in the position of having a unified body with the operating structure that's been outlined, then we would be in a much better position to be taking a massive step forward as a sport because we'd have that professional resource to be able to rely on rather than just the goodwill of volunteers because sometimes we do have day jobs we've got lives outside of the sport and sometimes they need to take priority and having a professionally run governing body to me would have made a massive difference. Now back to the EIHC, they've made various claims that anybody who's spoken out about the vote going ahead, any objections, even suggestions and ideas um, that have been put out there have been dismissed by the EIHA. Have you had a chance to engage with the EIHC about their ideas and try and maybe come together and work together on this? Yeah, so I, I, I suppose being really open, um, it's not 100% clear who the EIHC are. Obviously you've spoken to Clifton and Paul. Um, but beyond that, the, there is a, a certain amount of anonymity behind it. And whilst I probably do know some other people that would probably class themselves as being part of part of this group, I, I almost think that it's disappointing that people aren't willing to put their names as individuals to what's being put forward. Because I think any change in our sport needs to be done openly and needs to be done uh, with... with absolutely the best of intentions um, and I think that's probably where I personally uh, have had a challenge and I've said as much when I have spoken to Clifton um, I think the other side to that is that they absolutely have do have some good ideas and I, I do also agree with them that as an association we've been guilty for a number of years of potentially not listening in areas that ultimately we should listen and whether that's the concern of uh, the recreational clubs, that they don't have a voice in the sport, that's not good enough. And I want to openly say that that's not good enough. But the new body looks to resolve that by having an advisory group from the sport to have that link to the board. And 
I also want to say that if people feel like their ideas haven't been listened to, that actually I challenge everybody to come forward with those ideas openly and constructively to engage in positive change for our sport. So it's not about a battle for who's right and who's wrong. It's about everybody working together to share the benefit of what is, in my opinion, the best sport, as I'm sure most people listening would agree with. It's about us working together so that we can grow this great sport in the UK. Because that is what we all want. And I know Clifton and Paul have been really clear that their passion lies with juniors. Clearly my background is generally speaking in universities. But my passion doesn't stop there. I want us to want to see us having a successful junior programme. I want to see us growing our recreational game beyond what is already the biggest section in our sport. I want to see us developing our coaches the future so that when our players are competing at world championships, world university games, maybe even Olympics, that they have the best possible coaches educated in the UK by one of the best coaching systems in the world. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that vision in the same way that very few people disagree that having a new unified body for the sport is the best way forward. I think there's challenges over the timing and I completely agree that you would not choose to do this kind of review during a global pandemic. But the flip side to that is nor would you choose to do this review in the middle of a hockey season. And actually, whilst this season is not a normal season, I, I do think it does present us with an opportunity because nothing's going to operate as normal this year. Even though we are planning for the best case scenario of starting our leagues in January, we have to be realistic that that also might not include all of our clubs because their venues might not be open, they might not have ice down. And, and Hull is probably just one example of that. But that's not to say that we exclude clubs like Hull. It's to say, how do we work with Hull to get their players back on the ice? And fundamentally, that gives us nine months, nine months without any regular hockey season taking place, just making sure that our players can compete on the ice for as much time as they possibly can between now and September. It gives us that time to really fundamentally shake up our sport and make sure that from September 2021, we have all the things in place to allow our sport to succeed moving forward. Because the flip side to that, and what a delay might mean, is that actually, we go through a season that isn't normal, where we've done everything possible to get our players back on the ice, to get our young people competing in the conference system or, or, or training with England. We've done all of that, but then we take a vote in June, everybody says yes at that point, and then the critique would be, well, we've only got two months now until the start of the next season. So I suppose in short, there isn't a good time, but actually my view is that now is the best time because we've still got all the support and structure in place, We've still got our great volunteers up and down the sport working really hard to get our players back on the ice and none of that's going to change. What can change though is that we can build from a strong position 
for our sport for 2021. Initially, with a very temporary structure in place to support our players on the ice in January, and in September, we can take a massive step forward as a sport under a new unified body for the UK. So you challenged anybody with any objections to come forward, and that's probably a nice way to bring in the, the Q&A you're having on, on Saturday, um, as we record we're a few days away from that. What do you hope to get from that? Uh, I, I hope we can dispel some of the myths. Um, I, I, what, I, what I've said to a number of people is that some of the people that don't want this to happen are, are sowing uh, doubts and fears and and I, I really hope that we can speak to the members and dispel some of that because ultimately it's them that hold the power both now and in the future so if I give a really simplistic example of that one of the rumours in the sport is that and I'll touch on the role that I mentioned before in terms of the COO one of the rumours is that that individual could get paid 70, 80, 100,000 pounds a year the fact is that all the governing bodies in the UK combined only turn over just over a million pounds a year. There's no way that as a sport we can afford to put 7, 8, 10% of our total income as a sport into one person. It's not going to work. And more than that, if there's an organisation we chose to do that, it is the members that hold the control. It is the clubs that decide. And if they don't like something that the new body does, then they can hold a vote and they can hold the board to account on any of those decisions. And that doesn't change. We are currently, and in the future will also be, a members-led organisation for our members. And that very much is one of the key messages at the weekend, is to make sure that we answer all of those questions so that we can address those seeds of doubt that people have and make sure that we give everybody the reassurance that all the plans are in place to ensure our sport succeeds in the future. I know a lot of the documents that we put forward are not the most sexy. The fact is a governance review, which is what we've done, is, is quite a legal thing. I'm not a legal expert and, and nor would I pretend to be. Um, but within that, there is clearly a strategy on how we develop our sport, how we link up with key partnerships to ensure that our athletes can enjoy a career in ice hockey, but also enjoy a career, after, uh, a career afterwards through a dual career pathway. That's not anything that's ever been considered in our sport. It's considered that you train, you compete, you hopefully get to a high enough level to, to be classed as a professional and then we don't really worry about what happens to you after. Now clearly when you're earning a several million pounds a year as a footballer that, that might be okay in the short term but it's still not good for your long-term mental health to have that drop-off after your career uh, as a player. And, and ice hockey is no different, that's why the Women's Super League in football has dual career at the heart of it. That's why every Women's Super League club in the country, in football, aligns to a university to support their players to both play and compete and be the best athlete that they can, but also they can get an education to make sure that they can succeed after their playing career has finished. Now the flip side to that is that by having strategies like that in place, it supports our sport. Because actually, if you're a player that's been well educated, 
that has had that support as part of your career in ice hockey, then actually it means that once you finish your playing career, you can probably be a better coach or you can probably be a better administrator in our sport or a leader in our sport. There's all sorts of things that benefit our sport by having that joined up plan and that is what's in the strategy but again I know people will ask about the detail what happens to our league structures well that's what the game advisory group is for that's to work with our sport to ensure that we've got an open dialogue on all the challenges that our sport has so where Clifton and Paul have complained that our sport doesn't listen that's exactly what the game advisory group is for where we need to listen to our sport on the development of our performance pathway that's exactly what we need to do we need to in engage with people like Pete Russell we need to engage with people uh, like Ben Pitchley who, who, who was the ex-England head coach we need to engage with people in knowledge about our coaching programme whether that's Pete Wynn as the ex-head of the programme or, or people like Mark Beggs who have massive knowledge in that area as well we need to engage those people because actually whilst we've got that headline strategy and direction we need people that understand what needs to be done and can make those things work and we've got some fantastic people in our sport that I sincerely hope after the vote has gone through will come forward to offer their support to make sure that as a sport we can continue to stay, take strides forward both from a governance perspective based on what's on the table for the members to support at the AGM next month but also to support our sport in its development and to make sure that our young people and our athletes are supported by having the right systems and processes behind the scenes by making sure that we've got the right programs operating whether that's the power of 10 whether that's conference whether that's England whether it's supporting our GB programme to join up with our conference programme so that we, we play the game in the same way both at conference level and GB level. The point is that we are developing our athletes to play the game the British way and only, the only way we can do that is by engaging with all of our coaches and bringing people who are passionate about the sport to come forward with those ideas and that motivation to really make a difference. Not to stand in the way of progress, not to stand in the way because you might be scared that you might not be the right person for the position that you're in. And I'll take myself as that example. I don't expect to be a director of the new association beyond the transitional period. I've given everything that I can to the sport and I want to leave the sport in a position for the next generation of directors to take our sport forward and in essence that I want that to be my legacy so that when my kids grow up in 10 years time that the sport is in a position that allows them as an individual to succeed. I want to say that I don't want it to take that long. I want that transition to start in December so that our young athletes and, and our old, older athletes as well get that benefit now not in two years time because we've delayed unification for two years not in t three years time because it's taken us that long to get another proposal on the table that all the different home nations can agree with the fact is 
we've got a proposal on the table in line with best practice, in line with what the Code for Good Governance tells us, that has been listened to and reformed by members from across the organisation. We've got that ready now and therefore we can make that positive change now to benefit everybody in our sport from December 2020. So I have to ask, if the vote is rejected in December, what are the plans then? Um, well, for, for us this is very much the last opportunity to try and get this across the line. Um, and as I said before, Scotland's been waiting for, for England to catch up uh, for, for the last eight years. So ultimately, it, it, the, the offer on the table doesn't get better than it is right now. Um, so if it doesn't go through, then ultimately we are looking at reform to the EIHA. I sincerely hope that given the fact that I would say well over 90% of our sport agree that it should be a new governing body for our sport in the whole of the UK, that the membership will get behind that and see that that is the best way for our sport to move forward. That was Andrew Miller, the EIHA Director, talking to me about the forthcoming vote on the 12th of December, which will decide if there will be a merger between the governing bodies. I want to extend my thanks to Andrew for his time and urge you to check out the written piece to accompany this podcast on the website, britishicehockey.co.uk. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.